Hello, welcome back. If you've been tuning in weekly, which for some people they have, which has been really good. Um, you've stumbled across uh, my mind with Stefan Taylor, a show that is about my, my thoughts and uh, I guess kind of what I'm thinking of. So, you might be wondering, probably not, but you might be wondering, uh, what is on my mind? Stefan, what's on your mind today? Well, I was, uh, well, let me tell you what's on my mind uh, right now is there's no one mowing the lawn right now while I'm doing this, which is uh, quite pleasant. It's nice and quiet serene it's perfect time to just sit relax chill out and probably go on a bit of a rant and a bit of a tangent but i want to talk about uh kanye west controversial big figure in hip-hop and social culture as it were and for the last um probably decade really isn't it well like when did when did um his first album come out graduation a while ago maybe before 2010 so let's say 15 years he's been um working as a um a kind of mc or an mc a rapper really like before then i think he just produced and um maybe did a couple of cameo slots on um some elements but i want to I want to say that that guy has the formula for how to deal with modern day life. Honestly, he, he's just nailed it. He has become so rich and powerful and influential and, and he still makes like, in my opinion, this is all my opinion. He still makes great music. I can listen to, I can pick at least, um, at least two or three songs off any album that he's done that I could listen to and like, cause you know, he's still a great producer. Like he still makes great beats. His rhymes are, you know, like, well, I, I feel like his rhyming didn't really evolve from graduation late registration but his beats evolved and his beats got better like I, I think he from the start excuse me the start was like really good really unique sound and then there was that weird middle time with um love lockdown and stuff that was a bit that was a bit strange but still good like I can still listen to that song it was uh, actually, it was a little weird when I first heard it on the David Letterman show and he had however many drummers all dressed in like weird, they looked like the, the elite guards from Star Wars. Like they're all in red. They had these weird like red face screens over their face and they're all playing the drums and Kanye was like screaming the second part of the song because like... That I won't sing it in fear of like copyright infringement, 
but there's a part where it just repeats the same bit over and over and over and over again. And it was, yeah, I think that I was like seeing Kanye's <laughs> kind of fall in his performance. Yeah. It was crazy. It's like when he did that, um, he was doing that back in maybe 09 or 2010. There's like that footage of him where he's doing like touch the sky and he says like, you know, touch the sky. And then he just sprints off to like the other side of the stage. And it's like, where are you going, man? You know, he just does some wild stuff, but it's attention grabbing. It's like, he was built for my generation. And even though he's older, but he was, his um, performance style was built for my generation and the generation um, after me and so on and so forth, because he just grabs your attention. He does these crazy things and because our attention span is so small these days, it just grabs your eye. You know, he does these things to draw your eye and draw your attention, like love him or hate him. You're still looking at him and you're still giving him your attention, like your undivided attention. And that's, um, that's kind of his like secret formula, you know, like he, do you remember when he was going to run for president? And that's like, not such a, that was a far out thing at the time, but now he, he probably could still run. I think he was going to run this year, 2020. Uh, maybe not, but maybe. And he, he probably would have got it in all seriousness. If he had like a good campaign manager and had like the right ideas, there's nothing to, there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of people, I won't say obviously, but there's a lot of people that would have, there are a lot of naysayers that would have been really objective to him. Like there were, four years ago when um, he made the announcement he was going to run in 2020. But, um, you know, it was still something that grabbed your eye and draw your drew your attention to him. You know, like it was still a draw card, you know. Love him or hate him, you still looked at him. And then he did... I actually really like Kanye's music now because it's more gospel. I've got a bit of a soft spot for, like, gospel music. I'm a big Johnny Cash fan and a lot of his songs... Uh, in like the early um, uh, 70s and late 60s was like a lot of gospel music and like he still did like a lot of gospel songs and oh I love them you know there's just something so wholesome and good about them you know like it really showcased it was more about um, the message and the vocals rather than how fast he was strumming a guitar or something like that, like, or how like intricate the ensemble was, you know, it was all about the message and how well you could sing. And I think Kanye can sing. <laughs> I think uh, I really like ultralight beam. That is probably top five, my favorite Kanye songs. And I think that there's a bit at the end where it's like a spoken word, from a um an actual preacher like he actually does the um the vocals at the end of it um and you know it's really it's really inspirational i i was listening to it while i was doing some sit-ups or something and it come on and i was like this is really this is pulling on those heartstrings i've heard this song like a thousand times at least 
And um, just in that moment, it really, it really grabbed me and really wanted me to listen more. So, you know, naturally I did a bit of research on the song and found out that um, a preacher did it. And like the girl who sings in it is like a full on gospel singer. And it's interesting that these people would um, almost side with Kanye because Kanye has gone for Christian. I'm not saying he wasn't ever a Christian, but he is a Christian now. And these people that have devoted their life to uh, a, a religion uh, are, are singing and speaking on Kanye tracks where, you know, I don't know, um, 10 years ago, that probably wouldn't have happened because that was the state of hip hop as well in like um, 2010. And before then, you know, it could be about God, but um, it was more about, um, it was weird. It was more about like money and drugs and like gang reputation and like gang mentality and, and stuff like that. But now it's like, I think I, I probably spoke about it maybe one or two ep- episodes ago, if you know, you're listening weekly. Um, anyway, um, he, he's kind of, um, that that's like the state of hip hop now is that you can, um, speak about or that you don't have to rap about having heaps of money or getting heaps of girls or, um, all that kind of stuff. Like you can, you can rap about anything now and it's, and it's acceptable. So I think that like making a gospel song these days is like super necessary, you know, super necessary. I think it's cool. I think it's great that he's able to express himself and that people, um, with like that side with a certain religion or believe in a certain religion can, um, jump on and spit bars on a Kanye track, you know, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, and he's just, he's like a social icon. Like he's like our, um, not to compare the two, but he's kind of like our, um, our, um, our like Elton John or David Bowie. Like he was this, he is this far out, crazy personality that you're just drawn to, you know, and that's, what's made him successful. I think like he's just, you know, you just want to look at him and you want to like, even when he did Bohemian Rhapsody, it wasn't very good. Sorry, Kanye, but it wasn't very good. In my opinion, this is only one man's opinion, but you still watched it and you still looked at it and you still, you know, gave a like or a dislike or tagged a friend or whatever, hey, you did it, you still engaged in that media and watched him do it for better or worse. I did. I watched it. And uh, personally, I didn't like it, but I guarantee there was, you know, a hundred people that did or more, you know. So he's, look, Kanye, chin up, man. You're not even in the news right now, but you know, I really like your music and, uh, shout out Kanye. I think Kanye would be the type of person that would listen to like a rinky dink podcast and be like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's right. I did it. You know, um, maybe not, probably not, but you know, anyway, uh, moving on from Kanye, um, as 
I've probably spoken about, I'm really into Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Comics. I'm more into the comic books. Um, I was talking to my brother uh, last night and we're talking about great movie trilogies and superhero trilogies. And he was stuck on, he thinks um, the Nolan trilogy of the Batmans is the best superhero one. And I, I agreed because it is really good. And I think everything in it makes it. I think, um, yeah, I think Batman Begins is probably the least, probably the, 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 the not as good one as the other two. I would say it's like Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises and then Batman Begins. But it's like, is Dark Knight Rises so good because it got the accolade of Heath Ledger getting the best supporting actor? You know, it makes you think, because always in the back of your head that, yeah, he did do this crazy good job and he was very unique and it was like this insane portrayal of the Joker or even that kind of personality on screen. And because I'm Australian and... I love Australia and I really like Heath Ledger. Um, he, like Monsters Ball, is a standout performance from Heath Ledger. But unfortunately, he didn't get the um, the screen time because um, he was a kind of side character, but he was such a, a crazy good character in that film. Like, yeah, it was awesome. Um, and, yeah, it's it's. Um, do I think that he would have gotten, um, would have he, would he have still gotten best supporting actor if he didn't untimely pass away? And it's always in the back of your head that you think like that and you shouldn't think like that because he does deserve it and he deserves it for, um, I think, you know, he even deserved it for the imaginary of Dr. Panassas, you know, like, or if that's how you say it, um, he even deserves it for that. Like there's more from his body of work that could have been Oscar worthy rather than the portrayal of a, a psychotic comic book character. I'm not taken away from his win, but I think we looked up who else could have won it that year. And it was like Josh Brolin's milk, Josh Brolin in milk. And it was, um, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder, <laughs> which that would have been cool if he won it for that. <laughs> um, and there was someone else who did like a really good job as well. Um, I can't really remember. But um, I think personally, I think that he, he definitely deserved the win, but I, I feel like he should have won it for something else, not like a, a comic book character. Um, I'll probably get a lot of slack for that really. But um uh, you know, uh, I'm okay with it. I've had a lot of time to think about it. I think he won in 2009. So I've had 11 years to think about Heath Ledger um, winning this Oscar and it being a part of one of the best, if not the best, superhero trilogies of our time. And he played such a character that... Um, he played such a character that it wouldn't continue over because unfortunately he died. So it was only like, and that's what made it more interesting is like, 
um, they just moved on. Like with the Dark Knight Rises of being um, the Joker having a cameo at the end would have been like if he didn't die. Like there's so much um, opportunity for because the Joker is unquestionably Batman's greatest supervillain for sure, and especially because he's a supervillain, he's like the opposite of Batman. Like Batman's his organized, structured, um, rich um, white dude. And he's got like um, heaps of money and he makes all of his gadgets or Lucius Fox makes his gadgets and he uses the gadgets to fight crime. He doesn't have superpower. And then you look at the Joker and he doesn't have superpowers. He's just like had this weird childhood and he's had like this weird psychotic break and he's like makes his own gadgets. He makes his own stuff. You know, he's just like this crazy um, disorganized, like what's the thing he said? He's like a, he's like a dog chasing a car. He doesn't know what he'd do when he gets to the car. Uh, there's so many like quotable lines from Heath Ledger, which also makes it stick in your head more is that it's so quotable. Um, I guarantee there's a lot of people with the why so serious tattoo on them and like Heath Ledger's Joker. Like that's pretty cool. Um, he does such a unique job, such a great job. But like, um, yeah, it's interesting that Batman has um, his greatest villain is a is like Batman. It's like the other side of Batman. It's like if Batman went off the deep end from his from being an orphan, right? Because I guarantee Joker probably, well, according to the Joaquin Phoenix thing, he's. Um, kind of an orphan he lives with his mum, i think um, which is also a very good portrayal of the joker but i don't think he i don't think it's fair to compare the two i think if one of my me and one of my friends um sorry my friend and i spoke about this that um it would have been a great movie and joaquin phoenix still would have won best oscar uh best actor for it even if he wasn't um <laughs> Even if it didn't, even if it wasn't called the Joker, if it was called, if it wasn't a DC film and it was just about someone's psychotic break and going mad and dressing up as this weird clown to kind of, you know, accept things and become this, this weird, um, persona, I think he still would have won based on those merits because of his acting pedigree. You know, I don't think he would have. He definitely would have lost. He definitely would not have lost, even if he did play. Because it's interesting that Joaquin Phoenix has actually played a, a role similar to his Joker. Not to the extreme, but remember, he was in um, I'm Still Here, which is a, you know, it's a mockumentary about Joaquin Phoenix's fall from grace, how he was so high after um gladiator and i walk the line he was just on top of the world and then he had a mental breakdown and he started doing weird stuff weird stuff like he was um he was trying to make a record with p diddy <laughs> at one stage um to be like a rapper he like did this um he like started rapping at like this festival and he got booed off i think and then he did that weird thing on the Letterman show, which is all like, 
it's interesting that they show it in a mockumentary in the film, but if you follow the events, it was portrayed as like, it's not for a movie until like maybe a month or two after, I think by memory. Um, I remember reading in like a, a men's magazine, Joaquin Phoenix is a rapper now. And it had footage of him from what looked like the movie footage that I seen years and years later of him, you know, jumping and dancing and um, a rapping on stage. It was like a photo of him rapping to this crowd. And they're like, he's stepped away from acting. He's retired from acting. He's going to be a rapper. And like, Joaquin Phoenix is the type of guy that would have like said that he is. And it's not for a film because I think him and Casey Affleck are, qu- are quite close. Uh, I like Casey Affleck too. He really deserved that um that Oscar. But I feel like he should have got the Oscar for um, Gone Baby Gone. I feel like that was a better movie than what he won it for. I think he won it for uh, Massachusetts maybe. It was a movie like that. It had a similar name. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like he's kind of almost played that character who has a psychotic break before, you know. And then he did the. It was interesting how that, you know, it's it's an old film. It came out in 07. Like I'm not spoiling it. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Pause this. Go watch. I'm still here with Joaquin Phoenix, and directed by Casey Affleck. Watch that and then come back. All right, you're not going to do that, but that's cool. But at the end it's got this interesting moment of clarity where he's in the jungle and it's like this weird kind of um, moment where it's all quiet. He takes all his clothes off. He walks into this lake or river or whatever. And it looks like he's about to drown himself. And then the film ends. He walks under the water and then the film ends. And then it comes back on and he's like, okay. And it was like this weird, it's like you watched him be reborn. And then I think maybe three, four years later, he come out and did The Master, which is a great film. Great film. Philip Seymour Hoff is so good. And even Amy Adams is like really good in that. It's like a, that's, that's like a weird movie. It's an interesting movie. Yeah. For, um, the master such a strange movie good movie though Joaquin Phoenix is great and everyone like praised it and now he's like on this cool narrow where he's like only doing films he wants to be a part of which is great and he's such a he's like he's like Christian Bale and like um and like Heath Ledger I guess like they're all like method actors they just take it to the extreme of like pushing their um pushing their bodies and pushing their mental state to produce this um, crazy, crazy personas on screen. Like, do you remember when Christian Bale did The Machinist and he like lost all that weight? I think I read somewhere that his diet consisted of, um, excuse me, it consisted of crackers and cigarettes and like water. And he just lost all this weight. You know, it's crazy to see him. And even when he did, oh, what's that? Rescue Dawn, he was that thin as well. It's like he worked out that he could just be um, 
he like lost all this weight and then decided to do all these movies about like with these char- characters that would be like super super skinny. He was like ticking boxes, you know, while he was gone. And then he did um what's the what's the movie? American Hustle and he packed on all that weight. I think that's all Christian Bale, all that weight in that movie. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, like he he's a, he's a, he's a good actor, you know. Oh, even the fighter as well. I think the fighter was around the same time as Rescue Dawn. Maybe that was 2011. And I feel like he won it, Best Supporting Actors. If he didn't, he deserved it because that was that was a crazy, crazy way to portrayal. No, it wasn't crazy. It was accurate. It was an accurate portrayal of like a junkie. And that like I like that mo- um, movie's moment of clarity for him when he's in jail and he gets all the inmates to watch the movie they made about him and it's about how like bad drugs are. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. But, you know, once again, it's a nine or eight year old movie. Like you should have watched it, you know. And Melissa Leo is so good in that. I'm pretty, I'm confident she won Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress for her role as, um, as, as like the mum. Oh, she does so good. I love, I love the Boston accent. Is it, I think, or like, yeah, I like, I just like the Irish American kind of like, um, middle-class accent. Like it's just so, it's so rewarding. (laughs) It's so good. It's such a good accent. Um, you know, where they're like, um, you got to get out of the car. There's two things. There's two things you got to know. And it's about the car. That was a bit of a. That was a um, not a very good one. That was more Irish than Irish American. But you know, you got a door. Do you remember that um, the ad? And it was like Randy Couture, the MMA fighter, and he was talking about like this home gym, and it was like a gym you put on your door, and it had like resistance bands and like a pull-up bar and stuff. And he's like, um, "Please don't sue me for copyright infringement." I'm just making a joke. And he's like, you got a door, you got a gym. That's right. You you got you got three doors, you got three gyms, and they're all in your house. You, you just gotta go to the door and you gotta go to the gym. And that's not how Randy Couture speaks at all. Love Randy Couture, great martial artist, um, awesome. Actually, you know, touching on a bit of Randy Couture. I read um, so this is a guy that was nearly 50 and won the UFC heavyweight championship, which is a no small feat. Like if you're in the UFC, I personally, I love the UFC. I don't really talk about it on here because like in the future, I'd love to do just a talking about an MMA kind of podcast style, but I'll keep, I'll keep it really quick. I'll keep it brief, right? I'll keep it really, really brief. Um, It's awesome that he was of his age, came, won the title and then to do that, like all these guys, are max, most of them are maximum weight. And he schooled Tim Sylvia, like the heavyweight champion at the time, schooled him and then won it, you know, a guy in his um, mid to late 40s. That's an, And be able to perform at that level at that age is no small feat. Like that is awesome. Like props to you, Randy Couture. And I read that he um, had like chest pains after a workout and um 
wasn't feeling too hot. So he just walked down to the hospital and the hospital said, Randy Katua, you've just had a heart attack. And he was like, oh, sweet. That's cool. It felt like nothing. He had a minor heart attack. That's, you know, that guy, he's going to live forever. That heart muscle is just going to keep on chugga, chugga, chugging. Right? What a legend. Randy Katua, love your work, bro. You're even like good in the expendables. And that kind of brings me to segue. That was pretty rubbish segue. But um, talking about Randy Couture and like um, older guys being cool characters. And like this, like the the kind of genre of um, older guys being like cool cool characters it's not like a it's not like a new thing you know like it's been, it's a formula that's been used for years like when like john wayne for example did um that movie where he was like this gritty irish cop you know he like hung up his western because he was always famous for westerns he hung up his westerns and then come and did this where he was like portrayed as like a cop and even like clint eastwood when he did like dirty harry in like the 70s and um you know, like, it's not like, it's not this new genre that's like just come into, into fame. I think like the, 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 the subgenre within that genre is like them being of a military background and playing kind of sheepish characters. And then, you know, something ticks in their mind and they became, they become like ultimate warriors you know what I mean? Or they were ultimate warriors, but then they got out of that life and now they're trying to bring peace to their home. And then <laughs> so a, a Russian family member, a, a Russian mafioso kicks someone's cat and that makes the old man mad or like the, the a guy in his 40s mad and then he goes back to a life of crime to beat up people who kick cats. You know, so it's not like a new formula, but my generation and the generation uh, after me are seeing the guys that we grew up watching when they were in their 20s and 30s acting in rom-coms or like action movies and like being these young up and coming stars. Um, Now we're seeing them being played like them acting like the, um, the Charles Bronsons, the Clint Eastwoods, the John Waynes, um, the Steve McQueens, you know, like they're the Paul Newmans, you know what I mean? Like those old, that older generation is like the formulas like rinse and recycling, you know what I mean? So like those guys, are, you know, older now and some of them are resting in power, you know, cause that's what I say now. I say rest in power now. Um, and they are doing, um, doing some good work and they put that, like they put that, that formula in there and made it, um, made this point anyway. So like the guys that we seen, um, like, um, uh, Keanu Reeves, you know, and Sean Penn, we seen them in these like hard nosed roles. Now they're like X C I A ex like hitman and they're like doing like jujitsu and like 
doing what would they what's the the genre gun gun fu which the, you know john wick didn't create there's gun fu has been around i think the first time i seen it personally was in john woo is it's in a chinese film by a chinese director called john woo and chow yun fat is the lead character and he plays detective tequila right and and this movie is like a hundred diehards you know like it's got explosions it's got gun battles it's got this really hard nose washed up detective and he's trying to save the day and he goes on his own to battle hundreds of like these chinese gang members and it's called yeah it's called hard boiled and that movie is gun fu to like the extreme like there's this cool scene where he's um spoiler alert this movie came out in the 90s it came out after die hard actually i'm pretty sure it was the late 80s early 90s i'm pretty sure where chinese uh, films like jackie chan was starting to come into prominence um in like a big way in like western cinema and chow yun fat and um john woo you know another big director of like um china anyway uh oh takeshi mike i think he was japan japanese actually but he was coming into prominence like asian cinema was you know on the rise and um yeah so he's like in this tea house which is like a chinese kind of restaurant it's like a tea garden house whatever where they just drink tea it's like a diner it's like an american diner but in china if they don't have diners they have tea tea shops or like where they drink like green tea and ginseng and stuff and there's like this epic gun battle where he's got like two guns and he's sliding down rails and he's like shooting guns like he's throwing punches like he's throwing like a left hook but he's got a gun in it so shooting a bullet in the in the fashion of like a left hook and a jab and a straight and he's like shooting behind his back and he's like sliding down the pole and he's shooting two guns like it's epic it's epic and that's like that was like the first time i seen gun fu right in a movie john wick and their creators unbeknownst to generations are after me and my generation as well they don't know that you know it wasn't john wick that or john wick films that made this kind of genre of older guys um being um being being badass being a badass you know like it was even before john wick it was bruce willis in die hard or like danny glover in lethal weapon you know and mel gibson lethal weapon you know i'm too old for this you know like there's that classic line and like where bruce willis is like in the in the first one he's in the air vent and he's like um yeah sure john come to come to la hang out have christmas it'll be fun get a hotel you know and he's like get shot up by these german guys you know so like the yeah john wick isn't the first film where someone is like yeah it's it's definitely a unique take on it i find it actually very interesting that it's actually very hollywood for um, them to make this film and there be no real um like it's not based on a book it's not based on a comic book it's not based on like a short film it's not based on like a tv show like it's very unique for a film like john wick to come out where he is 
a um a character just designed from someone's um imagination you know and it's cool like i do i, I love john i love action movies and i love john wick movies um keanu reeves does a crazy good job and it's awesome to see keanu reeves because like you look at like him when he played um what's his name in like bill and ted's and then he played um well it's a horrible movie he does like the worst british accent dracula he's in like bram stoker's dracula and he's just not unfortunately keanu you're just not very good in that film which is okay you know it's like keanu's school of cool you know like it's too cool he was too cool to play a character that would you know kill dracula um and it, it's just a British accent. Just let him down. Like, he just didn't do a very good one. I dare say he would do a better one now than he did back then, you know, because that's, you know, actors evolve. They get better, hopefully, you know. Well, they do. You know, Keanu Reeves is, like, a better actor now than he was back then. I mean, like, look at Street Kings. You know, that predates John Wick as well. And he was a he was a washed-up cop in that, trying to do good and, like, well, not trying to do good, but in the end, he's trying to do good um, to try and, you know, he sees the error of his ways. But, like... Liam Neeson in Taken, that's like where he's doing like the cool jujitsu and like, you know, he's um, doing like hand-to-hand based stuff or even like Pierce Brosnan in GoldenEye. That's like people say like the old Bond films aren't like, oh, they're not even like hitting each other. You know, like they're not hitting each other in the real movies either. It's all like, oh, but he's actually jumping down sets. He's not. It just looks good right so it's the same with um like golden light and that was in the 90s 93 94 i want to say but like there's like that bit where him and sean bean are fighting in like the satellite and that looks like it looks like they're actually fighting you know it looks like that's how two secret agents would fight you know like they're you know throwing knees and kicks and like grappling each other and trying to slam each other's heads into things like there's no like throwing this crazy punch launching themselves at like it's you know there's a tactical um you know they're trying to show that you know it's two real people beating each other up you know and that's like the daniel craig ones you know they make it look a bit um more um badass i guess like they make it look like it's a bit more um uh, tactical and they look like they're hitting each other but um but look what i'm saying is that the older man playing the the protagonist who kicks butt is not a unique formula it's a formula that has been rinsed and recycled and look i'm not complaining i just don't like it when this is what happens someone has said to me that john john wick or like those films are like it's like the birth like oh john wick's the first film of its genre there's no film that has gun food well i've got news for you there's a lot of films that are very similar to john wick but the characters and how it's presented and some of the things that happen in john wick is unique the john wick is not the first series of films that have old guys kicking butt or older guys or like a washed up person or like a person who got out of the wife and had a family, had a dog or whatever, you know, like that's not a new thing. That's what I'm trying to say here because someone, you know, this is what happens. Someone tells me something and then I just get it. 
I try and defend it and like speak truth and then they have none of it because some people are, you know, a bit pig-headed about it. But um, I think the guy that really created this kind of genre or definitely made it more prominent for me was Luc Besson. And he's a French director and he's always had this eye for like cool characters and how they should be like portrayed, you know, like he, there's a film called um, Leon the Professional and like uh, it's got Jean Reno, Gary Oldman. It's my favorite. This is my favorite Gary Oldman portrayal of like a bad guy is Leon the Professional where he plays this crooked cop and he's nasty as nails. He is so cool. He is like, he's an awesome bad guy that like borderlines on like being psychotic, you know, and Luc Besson portrays it so well. He writes it so well. He writes like, it's a little bit predictable for sure, but Jean Reno, I think, I think Jean Reno is French, but he plays an Italian dude, (laughs) you know, which is cool because, you know, like, can you really pick the difference? You know, if, like a French dude was trying to do an Italian dude, you would think they're Italian, you know, like it's happened to me in the past. I've, I've usually got a pretty good eye for accent, a pretty good ear, not an eye, pretty good ear for accents. And, um, yeah, it it didn't face me. It didn't bother me, but Natalie Portman's in it. She was like 13 or 14 when she was in it. And she's playing like this. She's like, you know, a 13 year old playing a 13 year old. That's just had this crazy event happen to her. And now she's, she doesn't know what to do. So she's like trying to be, um, trying to be an adult. She's trying to grow up really, really fast. And she like in the film, she doesn't have this great life. And then Jean Reno comes around and like, uh, essentially like takes her under a wing and he's, so he's a hitman, right? And he is an absolute professional, does the job, you know, takes a photo and then goes away. You know, he's like a ghost. And then he lives next to Natalie Portman's family and they, the whole family gets, spoiler alert, the whole family gets um, murdered and she's the only one left alive. And John Reno has like this um, moment where he's like, oh, do I walk away or do I take her under my wing? Because she like goes and does laundry and then comes back and like, you know, her family said, and Jean-Rena grabs her and then, you know, does a shh on her and they're like best mates. So she gets in her head that um, she wants to, she wants to be the person that is, um, she kills the, the family that killed her family, even though her wife isn't, her life wasn't very good and, she definitely sees the upside of not having a family. She's like stuck in this moment where she's like revenges everything. And Jean Reno um, says, I will teach you how to be a hitman. That's awesome. That's such a cool, like, that's like a badass mo- moment in, um, in like that film where, you know, and he like gives her all these hints on like how to be a hitman. Like, it's awesome. Um, so yeah, I think Luke Besson really, he really um, makes films that it was like kind of the, for me, yeah, definitely. For me, definitely, it was like the birth of um, me seeing 
the kind of John Wick style movies, which for me, they weren't John Wick style movies. They were like um, Leon the Professional and like Lupin and like John Woo films for me. And, um, uh, and like Die Hard films, like they were more, like I would say John Wick is more like a Lupin film then it actually wouldn't, you know, I've never actually done the research into a John Wick film, but it would not surprise me if Luc Besson was like at least a, a, an executive producer or a producer of those films because they're so, like his films are so um, similar to like the formula of John Wick. Like he, and he kind of built the genre of the femme fatale, which is like um, French for fatal female. If you, I think, you know, don't quote me or don't air quote me on that. Like it just, that's if like some self, some French words are like self-explanatory, <laughs> you know, the a femme fatale sounds like fatal female. So look two and two together. I think that's correct. Um, but Luc Besson kind of made that genre. Like he had a film called femme fatale and it was about a woman who's wronged and like he, kicks crap out of it. And then he did, um, what's films, Scarlett Johansson? I'm asking like, you'll answer me because <laughs> this is how the conversations kind of go in my head. Right. I'll just, I'll ask a question too, and you can answer, but I won't hear you because it's already been recorded. Uh, Lucy, he did Lucy and I'm pretty, I'm confident he directed that if not wrote it and another story, femme fatale. And, um, he did another one with, um, uh, Rosanna Arquette or Rose Arquette, whatever her name is. Um, can't remember. Anyway. Um, yeah. So he's like kind of built, I'm pretty sure he did bombshell as well. The one with Charlie's throne. I feel like he did blonde bombshell. It's maybe called blonde bombshell or atomic blonde. It's called atomic blonde actually. And Charlie's Throne is, it wouldn't surprise you. James McAvoy is in it too, actually. Um, I've only seen parts of it. I um, regrettably had a big night and watched only a part of it. But, you know, I do love a good femme fatale film. I think, um, yeah, they're great. They're great, aren't they? It's like awesome, like seeing women empowerment on screen. Like when um, I seen Enough with um, Jennifer Lopez, I seen it with my sister, um, just at home and like seeing Jennifer Lopez, you know, box that guy and kick the poop out of him. That was so, it was so fulfilling. And like, I would get the same fulfillment out of like when John McClane kicks Hans Gruber out of the window. Like it's the same satisfaction that it's like the good guy prevails or the good person rather prevails. And it's so it's yeah, a, a, a good femme fatale film or a good action movie has that classic formula of um, the, the protagonist is happy. The protagonist gets wronged. The protagonist works its way up to find the person and then protagonist prevails. That is like the best formula. I think actually in, um, it's actually good to see in the John Wick films that um, he just keeps going. I think uh, my brother, uh, we were talking about this uh, last night and um, 
he was like, the John Wick films are based on grief, which is unique. That's a unique thing because a lot of action movies or like revenge films, it's all crammed into one movie. So it's interesting that they would do uh, five movies all at different stages you know, of grief. Um, well, which is cool. It's a good, it's a unique perspective on that kind of genre of that, um, that kind of persona that's portrayed. And um, look, if anyone can do it, it's Keanu Reeves, you know, what a legend. Um, but yeah, the um, Luke Besson, he, yeah, he just nails it. If you've never seen a Luke Besson film, you've seen indirectly a Luke Besson film, you know, because he is like, he just, he just created far out characters. It wouldn't surprise me if some of the characters from like Tarantino films are inspired by Luke Besson characters, especially like, um, like that whole, um, death proof movie, right? It's about badass women characters. And then it's even got Kurt Russell, who's like the epic bad guy. He's like the coolest looking bad guy and he's the coolest bad guy. And then, you know, women prevail at the end, which is awesome. I love seeing women, male, whatever. I love seeing them get that moment at the end of a film where it's like they won, you know, that's the, that's the most satisfying thing when you see, when you see that, you know, it's so satisfying. Yeah. Like when, um, I throw off. This is a spoiler. Alert. I'm going to just do a little bit on Game of Thrones, right? This is only my perspective, right? So I think that people were upset with Game of Thrones, and um, they weren't happy with it. And I'm only going to touch on this a little bit because I think that they did it. They did. They they lived up to their height. Like, isn't it so Game of Thrones that, like, no one's happy with it? Doesn't that kind of sum up Game of Thrones? Like, I can't remember anything that happened in that whole show that I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm happy that happened. The only time I was happy was when Bran got named King at the end. Spoilers, you know, that was the only time I feel like they, um, that was like a happy moment. All the rest was like classic Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding, then like, you know, Jon Snow's Fall from Grace, and then like the whole Targaryen situation, like the, you know, Stannis, Baratheon, Sean Bean dying at the start. Like what? the whole Joffrey thing. Like there's nothing about that whole series that is like pleasing or is like, there's like satisfactory moments for sure, but there's nothing that's like, yep. Yep. That's awesome. You know, like there was, it, it, it wasn't a happy show to begin with. Like, why do you think as a fan, you would get the ending that you want? It doesn't matter how much of a petition you sign and how much like you kick up a stink about it. It's not going to change. I don't think it should change. If you're listening, Game of Thrones writers, to this Rinky Dink podcast, um, don't change a thing. Because, you know, if 
if Sopranos still had the same ending and people petitioned it and said, you have to change it, like then, you know, that writer, like David Chase is giving in and saying, oh, well, I want people to be happy and I want to please everybody. It's not why he wrote it. He didn't write it to like please everybody. He wrote it because that's the story. That's the story and that's how he's seen the story going. It's the same with Game of Thrones, you know, or it was rushed. It was, it was, um, it was forced, you know, it was predictable. So what, you know, like there's so much film and material out there that unfortunately, like it's going to get rinsed and repeated. Do I dare mention the first 20 minutes of this um, the, well, the, the end 20 minutes of this podcast talking about the rinse and repeat cycle of how genres and characters and situations aren't unique, you know, it's a rinse and recycle, um, process. You can't expect like it, you can have independent thought in independent ideas and like change it, but that's, you know, that's not going to make it like better. Even if you made. John Snow King, people would you would still say you would still have people saying that, oh, they gave in, they gave in to what the fans wanted, you know, and he's like a suck up to the fans and gave people what they wanted, you know. Yeah, more people would probably be happy, or more people wouldn't be as happy, but that that's just how it goes, mate. You know, like that's I personally I wouldn't have wanted Game of Thrones to end any different. They did it. They did it. They upset heaps of people making a show that upsets people. If that's not like the absolute sum of it, of Game of Thrones, then I don't know. Don't think you should have watched today. <laughs> it's, um, that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted to like upset you and roll you up and like make petitions. Like, why would they give in? It's not, it's, it's not fan art and it's not fandom. It's the people who've been writing the show for years, you know, based on the book that the guy has through popular demand has had to like rush his books, right? To come up with a product. If you're unhappy with that product, I think you need to have a good hard look at yourself and look at like the whole season and the entirety of Game of Thrones. Because it all, all of it is upsetting. There's not one moment where I watched it. I said before, as I, as I watched it, there was not one moment where I was like, um, not shocked at any of the things, even if it was a good thing. I was shocked the whole way through. And it's the shock value that like kept you watching because you wanted to know what was the next shocking thing. What was the next thing that would they would throw at you? to make it more shocking, you know? And that that was Game of Thrones. It was like Game of Shocks. <laughs> I'm just going to shock people all the time with lots of stuff. I'm going to blow their minds with how disappointing we can make something but still make it, like, successful. Actually, the only thing I think that they could have changed was, like, the Frost King. They could have expanded on that a little bit more. Mm. I feel like the um, the Walkling King, they could have made that a little bit better. That's the only thing I'll say. But everything else, 
But then again, that's Game of Thrones. Like, if you weren't happy with that, I guarantee there's no one there going like, yeah, I was happy that Sean Bean died. Oh, I'm happy that Joffrey was king. Oh, I'm happy that, um, I'm happy the Red Wedding happened. That was my favorite part. I'm happy that, um, um, I'm happy that, you know, the, the, the dwarf killed, um, what's his name? Killed his dad and his like love interest. I'm happy that happened. No one's saying that. Oh, I'm happy the, um, the, the mountain kicked the shit out of the Viper. Yeah. That was my favorite part. No one's saying that. You're all shocked and you're all disappointed. Just like the ending, when like the ending happened, you're all shocked. And that would, that's like the Game of, Form, Game of Thrones formula. And you know what? Game of Thrones, you did it right. You did it right. Because that's, um, that was the best way to end it. The best way to end that was for it to be shocking. And if it wasn't, then, well, you need to watch something else. That's more predictable and that you're going to like enjoy. Anyway, that was Game of Thrones. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. I think they nailed it. They did it. So that's, um, I'll leave it there. Actually, that's a lot of food for thought. Food for thought. Anyway, um, if you liked this show, um, uh, well, like it. I think you can like it on Spotify. I don't know. Maybe you can like it on this ankle where I make it. Um, but look, if you, you know, shoot me an email at mymindpod um, at gmail. I'll just double check that I got that right because sometimes I don't get it right. Um, yeah, you said, actually, it's mymindpodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email and tell me what you thought of it. Tell me that you don't like me. That's okay too. Because, you know, as Kanye has proven that um, any attention might be good attention. Anyway, goodbye.